This week on the Dragzine Podcast, Shannon Davis joins us from Davis Technologies, and we talk about traction control, his background in racing, and a whole lot more. So pull those belts tight. Get ready to put in the beams. The Dragzine Podcast starts now. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor Brian Wagner. After my little uh, vacation going racing, back to doing the podcast this week, and we're coming out swinging with Shannon Davis from Davis Technologies. And uh, you definitely better pull those belts a little extra tight this week because he's about to drop some knowledge bombs on you. So uh, without further ado, let's get this drag racing party started. All right, my guest this week on the Dragzine Podcast is the master of traction, Shannon Davis. What's going on, Shannon? Hey, man. I'm just up here in the shop trying to get some new, innovative, cool stuff done tonight. Yeah. Yeah, you're ready to head down to No Mercy. Yeah, you've got to go down for another stint at the uh, 23,000 Days of Duck, right? Yeah, yeah. uh, I I actually didn't do uh, Sweet 16. I had to go, uh, where are we at? We were at Galat with PDRA. And then we've got, that was last weekend, and then we've got uh, Duck this next weekend, and I think, well, this weekend, and next weekend is, I think, Virginia PDRA World Finals. We'll be there for that. And then I've got to check and see if the uh, Darlington uh, Pro Mods are still running and, you know, check the weather and all that shit. So yeah. <laughs> we've had, we've had uh, four weeks, we have four or five weeks in a row here. it's pretty much how a lot of us thought the racing season was going to go is as soon as we could kind of get stuff going, everybody was going to cram every event into warm weather. Didn't matter. Just go with it. Yeah. And unfortunately you're going to, you're going to get some overlap and that's just what is what it is. And, but I'm glad everybody's back racing. I mean, we've actually been amazingly busy for everything that's going on. Um, And I think some of that, at least in the drag, the drag market was, I think a few months ago it was an opportunity for a lot of guys to do things with the car they wanted to do. Um, they've got time to get it off to the wiring guy if they could find one that could get them in. And I think there was a fair amount of that of, uh, you know, this is an opportunity to do whatever it was you were going to do the car. I had a, tra- I had a traction control, change over to fuel injection or switch fuel injection systems or, you know, upgrade this, upgrade that. And I think now we're actually seeing a little bit, and I see this in our circle track side also, guys are a little flusher on budget if they're if they ain't in the restaurant business (laughs) most of them their money's just fine and it's the other way around they haven't had a chance to spend it so um, we're seeing a lot of guys do upgrades and buy some high ticket items because they haven't been racing they've saved 30,000 on fuel this year (laughs) you know so uh, everything's got a silver lining I guess yeah, I think the worst thing you can do is give racers downtime and budget because they're going to find ways to change cars and try to improve them, whether, you know, to to make leaps ahead or chase their tails. They're going to be like, well, I got all this money. I need to do something with it. And bam, there you go. I say a little bit of the, the unforeseen thing early was like, well, you know, my business, you know, Joe, Joe Racer's business is doing fine. And he hadn't had a chance to go spend 5000 a weekend playing with his ProMod. And next thing you know, he's flush, and he's wanting to do this, that, and, you know, change over to a whole different power combo, whatever. And so it's it's as long as you can kind of adapt and roll the punches and read what's coming. Um, I know an awful lot of other people in the business I talk to, they're doing just fine. Yeah, that's been kind of the whole deal is that if it's not something that's a consumable per se, if it's something that someone could buy as an upgrade or, you know, 
by a second whatever of they've been doing it to get ready for whatever they can and it'll be interesting to see how that plays into what happens next year as well what the what the rollover is going to be well i was talking to one of our uh suppliers i guess vendors whatever um and they said they've actually been selling a, a, a lot of spares i think it kind of goes with what you're saying about well, we got the money um we've always wanted a spare whatever blower ignition box uh, fuel injection box a spare profiler and they're buying them you know because they like I said they've got the budget and they got caught last year with their pants down they didn't have a ring or a sensor or something silly so it's been a like I say a little different, a little different year, but uh, not horrible. And like I said now it's like you said, full speed ahead. Let's let's race till it snows, and you know. And, and then it'll be like, well, where is it not snowing? Let's go there and race. Let's go there, right? You're gonna see Florida. I bet you'll see the Southern races busy this off season because guys want to race, and you know. Might have time. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, those guys down there, you know, Ozzy and uh, Victor are going to put up like little tent cities up on their on their tracks so people <laughs> just, can just, just leave your car here, you know, just come on down every couple of weeks and we'll do some more racing. You can park your rig over there while you wait. Yeah, so. exactly. Full, you know, that, that it's, again, it's another business opportunity. Hey, just leave your stuff here. We can have someone come in and service your rig, you know, the, the whole deal. Right. Right. Got, got, yeah, you just, like I say, adapt and roll the punches. And, and you know, kind of looking at this year, it's been strange, but the racing we have seen has been it's pretty pretty impressive. What you think with some of the stuff we've seen in not just radio racing, but just across the board with what these teams are doing, they're uh, they're really making making the most hay of it. You know, what do you think's kind of some more of the uh, the impressive things you've seen so far in this bizarre year? Oh, I don't know anything in particular, but it is like you said. You you got guys they had this idle time, downtime, whatever, and they went and made their packages better. And there's, it's it's hard to beat track time, but, like, just watching what went on at Sweet 16, I mean, there was a, uh, what was it, the X275, there were several cars in the 20s, and, um, you know, they all had chances to, I guess there's been rules changes and other things, so they're adapting to rules changes. They're, hey, you know, if my combo's not fast anymore, I guess got to spend a little bit of money and build a different combo. And, uh, try to figure that out. So they got down there and, uh, you know, a lot of impressive runs. Um, who was that? Uh, J.R. Gray. Um, I think a KTR tune. I believe this is a brand, I may have it wrong, brand new car. I don't know if this is its first passes or if it's been running testing or what. But I think they come out of the box and I believe they won. Yes, they did. So, that, that, yeah. car, that car had very few test laps on it, took it to that track, and then... That dude, he roughed some people up with that car. <laughs> he doesn't go and hurt some feelings. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, so it's, uh, like I said, these racers, you're dealing with a lot of smart guys, a lot of smart teams. Um, if they can figure out a way to work on it, do it, whatever. I mean, kind of like my, some of my background was SCCA Trans Am. And, you know, the road racing was kind of always my, my favorite thing. And, uh. You, you get into this, and it's always, I've, I've basically I've professionally raced since I was 20 years old. Um, I've been to one race I can think of, two races as a spectator. A friend of mine took me to the last Formula One at Indy, and uh, when I was probably 17, I went to Summit Point and watched some road racing. Took my girlfriend's little brother. <laughs> That's probably the only two times I've ever been in a racetrack that I paid to be there. Um, 
So, but in all this, you always get into the, oh, the, the money, the money. The rich guy's always going to win. Well, a little bit of harsh reality, that's probably true because Trans Am got involved in trying to create rules they had no chance whatsoever in enforcing. And um, trying to deal with, like, how much titanium could be in a car. Um, and it, that you had this many panels or that many panels um, of titanium. And it was too expensive. And, and it, it became this, this um, subjective, the tech man coming down and deciding you had too much titanium in your car. Like, what, how are we supposed to build a car? And, and I don't know that, like, we got, we got crossed up with them because we had a titanium firewall. 60,000 titanium makes a hell of a good firewall. <laughs> yeah. um, it's very good at its job and blah, 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 blah. So, so anyway, we were having all these discussions, and I was running a, a, a big two-car team at the time, and it's like, so I had a little bit of, a little bit of say in, in some of the stuff. You know, they took everybody's opinion. I was like, look, if 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 my guy's got five million to spend, he's going to find a way to spend it. Whether we're going to wind tunnels, we're buying shock dynos, we've got hundred thousand dollar year engineers helping us out. He's got the money; he's going to have an advantage. And it doesn't change. You get into the just even grassroots circle track. They oh, you can't have any adjustable shocks; they're too expensive. Well, the guy with money's just going to have forty sets of non-adjustable shocks. He's got a huge advantage over the guy that can't afford 40 sets of non-adjustable shocks. That guy would actually be better with one set of expensive menzers or something he could work with and uh, learn something. So it's the money thing's always frustrating when guys want to get into, you know, it's not fair, but they got the money. You take Sweet 16 or Ducks races, you go down here, we got, you know, 97 qualifiers. Well, some of the teams I work with, they set out because they can't afford to run their car that much. They can't take the chance of hurting it. So, hey, we're in the show. We're fifth. It's hot out. We're probably not going to improve any. We're not going to bother. If you got three spare bullets in the trailer, I don't care if I blow it up or not, we'll go learn something about the heat. We'll probably be racing in the heat tomorrow. So you've always got that element of the the, the money playing into who's going to be successful and who's not. But um, it also doesn't mean that you take somebody. I mean, i got plenty of teams. I'm you know, brooders or not a, you know, I don't think anybody would say Nick and him are a, a hugely funded, you know, uh, trust fund <laughs> operation. They're out there hustling and working on customer cars and doing things to get things done, but they're good at what they do. And they're generally going to come out and go fast. Um, they struggled a little bit this week, but, you know, so there's plenty of, there's plenty of lower budget dudes that just got their stuff together, go out there and can do a hell of a job racing. But it's, uh, I say the money and the the rules and the you know that so and so's got this new RVW car and it's all this and all that. Yeah, money never hurts, but it doesn't mean you can't beat them. And you know, like that effort with uh, uh, Jr. Gray to come out and you know, basically a brand new deal. But you're dealing with guys like Stevie Fast and and uh, you know Reese Brothers building their chassis and whatnot. I mean, these guys are good at what they do. So. Uh, a lot of talent out there, and you know, you give them a bunch of downtime, they're going to go figure stuff out. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, whether it's on, you know, uh, again, back to the rules and Trans Am, as my mind wanders around, you know, 
we couldn't test but here, we couldn't test but there. Well, that was about when you start seeing all these seven-post machines come around. Well, we'll go put it on a seven-post machine for 20 grand, and we'll shake the son of a bitch for a week and learn, learn something about shocks that way since we're not allowed to go, go test. You're not going to stop the guy with money from doing that. No, you not know? at all. Um, so it's always a tough deal, but, you know, you, and you take something like the, the No Mercy format or the Sweet, probably more like the Sweet 16 where there's a lot of opportunities to go run your car. I think they had, what, seven rounds of qualifying? Yeah, it was something like um, seven rounds. And that's, that, you know, I don't know if that's a whole engine rebuild just in qualifying laps <laughs> or, or, but obviously if you show up there with one bullet, you're not going to push your stuff as hard. You're not going to make all the attempts you could because you got to get, hopefully, to the finals. So, anyway. What, what's cool um, about watching something like that, though, is you see the guys that might be struggling that they take it, you know, they might not have the stuff that is like the absolute ragged edge, but you watch them sit there and they learn stuff. And, they, and, and you know, you saw it in the, the – uh, you know, the, the second chance X275 race, I'll use the drag zine car as an example. The last yep. time we had that thing out at the NMRA race, nobody had a good time. We had a lot of problems with parts, a lot of issues, a whole lot of issues. They get the car down there. They We figured out the issues at the one event, go to the Sweet 16, and James and the team just started chipping away at it, chipping away at it. And by the time they were done, they knocked like five-tenths off what the car was running. And it's like I say, just nose to the grindstone, hard work. I've worked with James some. He's very uh, methodical about his note taking, and um, he knows he knows his stuff. We were at uh, PRI this year, last year, down in the lobby talking one night at one in the morning. He's rattling off numbers and tune ups and this, that, and the other. And somebody else was had overheard it, and they had some questions about I can't remember what the subject matter even was. Something about turbos and. You know, James is rattling off, oh, we had this and this numbers and this wheel, and we found this and this tire temp, and, and he was, you know, impressed me with his knowledge of uh, of the cars and his ability to, re- ability to retain it. But then working with him hands-on, everything goes in notebook. Everything goes in notebook, you know. Um, I work a fair amount with Tommy Gray, the Undertaker Pro Mod. He's the same way. I mean, he runs a, a trucking business. He's got a full got his plate full with that it appears you know he's always on the phone with work stuff when he's at the drag strip he's a a bit of a uh he's focused at the strip he's there to to go drag racing he's not hanging around shucking and jiving with everybody he's kind of dry in that respect he's always working but he's got the most articulate methodical notebook um of everything they've done to the car and it shows. I mean, he's. I think he is, uh, for twenty some years, just been consistently a guy to a guy to beat. You know, um, or that's going to beat you. <laughs> yeah. So he's. Uh, and I've watched him work. He, you know, Billy Stockland's always got his little notebook in his pocket. You know, and it's. Uh, you, you get something with Tommy, and we get a little lost, and it's not working right. And he starts going back and looking. Well, look, the last time we were in these conditions, we had this, this, and this. And he goes through his book, and he's got notes where he changed this and changed that, and kind of build a profile, a picture of what you what have you done different here. And then you realize it all went to crap when we changed that converter. Even though we made that converter work in the cold, it ain't working in this hot track. So he'll go back and change it, and boom, next hit out, they're back on track. You know, so it's um, 
like I said, you get these, these most of these guys. You got a lot of smart dudes running around this fort doing stuff, and uh, you know you get a couple of them to stick together for a few years and get the gel, and it's it's impressive to watch what they can do. Even with like I say, a brand new roll out with a brand new car. I mean, I think Bruder's had a brand new combination, um, and they went tested. I think they went to not Yellow Bullet. We went somewhere and they broke the motor like the second power out. They were worried they broke the motor like the second hit. So they parked it and helped customers. Then they come back down here to Sweet 16. I think they were somewhere last week at some Cecil County race. Got a little bit of data. And uh, then they come down here to Sweet 16, and they made a couple good licks, but just, you know, had a little bit of the other side of it this time where things just didn't go their way. Yeah. <laughs> Went out and some reason didn't make power. Get that fixed. Oh, now it's on the bumper. Okay, we got that fixed. Okay, now it made power, but it went a little left. So we get that fixed. And, uh, you know, but... You better not give them too many chances. No, no. <laughs> um, so, like I say, it's uh, back to the original statement of, you know, we've got this, this downtime or whatever you want to call it. These guys ain't been sitting home with playing tiddlywinks. They've been, they've been working on them cars. They've been figuring stuff out. They've been testing what they can. Um, you know, a lot of them have gone into, like, no prep and stuff because they were still doing those races. Well, now they're coming back to their – their roots, you know, 275 or RVW or whatever, well, guess what? They learned something no prep racing, you oh, know? Yeah. yeah. I'm sure. I'm Kai Kelly's driving home right now from from the, the fastest in America thing. I was talking to him earlier, and they're heading, I guess, swing by, grab some clean underwear, and head on down the ducks. Well, that's a whole different kind of racing, but I bet you he's learned something over the last six months of no prep racing. Oh, <laughs> so. yeah, that's... I can assure you he's learned how to use his profiler better. <laughs> yeah. He's, uh, you know, it's, it's like I said, these guys are always going to, the cream's always going to rise to the top, you know. So. You know, that that's one of the cool things. Like, I always talk about how lucky I am to check out every kind of major form of drag racing. And you, the thing about, like, no prep to me was, like, the new, it was the new, new age outlaw guys you know, that really people didn't know what to think of it. And it's kind of become more mainstreamish. You see the big teams coming over there, not, you know, it, it takes them a second to kind of start getting their feet wet. And some of them learn the hard way that it's not as easy as what they think. And to me, that's what makes drag racing so interesting is you just see this level of crossover within the different like areas of the sport. Well, you take the no prep, and I may not have this right, but it seems to me, looking at the evolution of it, we went from, you know, we had this TV show about, uh, you know, illegal street racing. Well, it's the, I heard about it, and I heard about it from somebody else and didn't really know what they were talking about on the show, and I hear a little more about it, and then finally one of my attorneys said something like, wait a minute, now, if my attorney's asking me about some drag racing show on TV, I guess I'll go watch it. So I go watch the episode, and I'm, I remember later telling the wife, this is the silliest stuff I've ever seen. Talking about the outlaw street racing, there's generator light plants alongside the road. <laughs> I don't know what we're... So I kind of start watching, get a little feel for what's going on here. And I think kind of what's... You, you go from that, you go from the illegal street racing. Well, as a company, Davis Technologies, I can't really get behind oh, hell and no. help you out illegal street racing. Hell right? no. So... Let's take that. Okay, it's an interesting form of racing, but plenty of businessmen and people that don't want to go do something illegal 
hey, let's go talk to the track, and we'll start at, I mean, I saw some of the stuff, they'd start at 60 foot. Um, they'd go down the big end of the track and race backwards if it was safe. They'd go down 100 feet and start racing, you know, to, I think that was the, the birth of, you know, legalized no prep, <laughs> you know, legalized, you know, or, or go out and get a street. I think it was at, in Woodward Avenue, isn't that what that event is? Isn't what? that, uh. Yeah, Woodward's done it. There's been a few other places that do it as well, and that, that's a that's whole... an organized, you know, completely legit, permitted street race. So I think a lot of people can adapt and, and relate to that much more. I mean, this is attainable. You go, you know, I put my foot in my mouth a lot of times, but I'll just say it. You go to a pro extreme race, and you look at some of these cars, and they're incredible, and but it's not attainable to most people. I mean, this is a $100,000, $200,000 car and a couple hundred thousand dollar haulers and all this. You go to a no prep race, you'll have some of that. And you got a dude over here in a little, you know, $8,000 trailer and his pickup truck and his little little race car he's built, the Turbo LS or something in it, and he's competitive and he's having a good time. And he's in this whole thing for 50 grand. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and some friends and some hard work and some help. So I think it's all kind of really opened up the drag racing to a lot of people. Um, you know, you go to these no prep king events and you can just tell most of these spectators that are here and there's 20 or 30 or 40 or 50,000 of them have never seen a drag race. Well, now they're hooked, you know, um, and who knows? Next year they show up and they got a car. Two years later they're there with a car. They're they're drag racing, put it that way. So I think the the no prep thing has been pretty cool in watching its evolution. Um, you know, whatever you think of it, it's like you said, it's certainly not easy. I've seen some of my guys that think, oh, we're going to go do this and we're going to go do that. Like, dude, don't think it's easy to go run four forties on the freaking street, <laughs> you know, um, or nor safe, but. Uh, so at least they're doing it more in a sanctioned sort of way, and it's it's an interesting form of racing, and uh, it's certainly growing and popular. Um, the, the grassroots you know. level of it here, like particularly in Ohio and kind of in this Midwest area, is off the charts right now. There's yeah. there's a lot of places that's really kind of like they, they got tired of the whole. Well, it's not really no prep because even if you don't you know, technically prep the track, there's still that layer of rubber down. Well, there's a lot of tracks up here in this region that can do the run, you know, the track backwards safely kind of deal. Right. And, and that's quite, that's, t- there's, there's, you could race one of those events at least once a month here somewhere in Ohio, Michigan, or Indiana. Like good, good events that pay fairly well. And it's local guys that have built cars that aren't, you know, big money cars but they're out there the places are packed and they're having fun yeah oh yeah i mean i say it's and we've seen in our business you know a huge explosion of customers that are in this no prep world so we've got you know like our tc2 that we do for holly it's an affordable uh unit that hooks right up to your holly and you can you know it's very popular and all this no prep stuff we've got a unit called a tc3 it's a little newer tc3 sl a little more money all that is no prep. And then you love it with our VPS, the vehicle position sensor gives you the G, X, Y, Z, pitch rolling, y'all. We're integrating some safety features into that now, and that's largely driven by what's going on with all this no prep stuff. Um, but it also does the deal with those little time slips. You know, it throws out that simulated time slip. 
well, that's huge because most of these no preps don't have time. So, you know, we see the the growth, the explosion of it, and it's all what's kind of cool is it's all kinds of cars. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's it's all levels, and it is guys. I mean, right now, um, so I guess there's an association there. Uh, the beer money car from what's it, Horsepower Wars? Yeah, the 10K drag shootout. Yeah, the 10K drag shootout. So you got Pete and him build this car for you know whatever ten grand, and I don't know if you've been following it, but I think on the local scene around here in North Carolina, they're just cashing checks with that thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's not an expensive car. It's it's kind of a pile. Um, but they've got it sorted out. They've got it working. They're out no prep racing it. He's done, um, I don't know, they've won two or three or four of them here just in the last month or two. Um, or or maybe I shouldn't say one. They've won a couple, but they've done really well. And like racing goes, something sometimes happens. I think one of them was the uh, tranny dipstick or something came out. <laughs> yeah, they've... they've- Lyle almost piled that car up. I think it was last year due to a uh, an unforeseen uh, fluid event, but he, he kept yeah. it off the wall. Yeah, it's. Uh, but like I say, you look at it; it's not an expensive car. Um, no, I watched it get uh, built. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think that was that's one of one of the, the Power Auto Media uh, productions. It was a cool, cool show. I watched it a couple times, well, and uh, you know that kind of shows you what you can do, but. You know, I think, honestly, they're having a ball. <laughs> you know, Lyle driving it, and Pete's doing the motors and tuning, and and uh, I think Biggin still helps them out on all the chassis and whatnot, and I think they're all just enjoying it, you know? Um, a little bit of a hobby for once. Well, you know, Dean got Dr. Rodnocker back from the show, and he took that thing down to Louisiana and street raced it on the pad as it came from the show. And I'm right. Get- I'm getting text messages at three in the morning, like, "Hey, you know, one of your cars is down here," and I look at my, I look at the picture. I'm like, "Oh, great! Dean's racing the car, and it's still got all the horsepower stickers on it. Awesome!" Yeah. Right. But you know, it was his car. He could do what he wanted with it. I'm like, "It's awesome advertising." But again, it's it's just one of those deals where, you know, people just they race what they can. They get in where they fit in, and that's one. Of, I think one of the, and from what I've seen, kind of just these different levels of heads up drag racing and what what's kind of cool we're seeing is people that have that mentality now of getting where they can fit in and just race. You know, you see that a lot with the, the street car takeover series now, which is awesome. Right. Well, I say with the no prep stuff, you've got this deal with, with the tracks being closed and different, different reasons, different regions, everything kind of up topsy turvy up in the air. There's a no prep race somewhere within 100 miles of you. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know? um, and probably a legitimate one where it's, you know there's you're at a track or you're at a sanctioned event and it's not you know you're not going to grab. I mean I got plenty of customers that are businessmen that own various you know whatever tranny shop or general repair shop trucking businesses whatever. Well, this 50 year old dude don't want to go out and get arrested for illegal street racing. You know, but he's dying to go race, so they get involved in the no prep stuff. And like I say, a lot of them are having a ball, and um, some of them that swore all oh, it was that's the dumbest stuff I've ever seen. And a year later, we're having so much fun with that stupid no prep car. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and like I say, you, then they come back and they've learned something on their no prep pastime, uh, COVID car that they're now applying to their blown pro mod. You know. And uh, 
it's it's interesting to watch it all go, and it's it's cool to work with these guys that are all, you know, thinking guys. You know, they're just always going to figure it out. Um, they may not be rocket scientists, but you live alone with that race car long enough, they're going to figure out whatever's going on usually. Or they don't laugh long. They don't. They realize that this I ain't cut out for this. So, yeah, um, they hit a certain level where it's like I probably shouldn't go any quicker, faster in this because I'm either going to kill myself or tear up a lot of equipment. I was talking to a, a tuner friend the other night, and I was helping one of the street outlaw guys, and he's helping another one, and and we were just having a conversation. These guys are—I won't divulge numbers, but they're moving. Oh yeah, they're moving. <laughs> they're moving, <laughs> and it's like, you know, I don't know if I feel okay with this that. You're trying to make your guy go faster. I'm trying to help my guy go faster. They're both flying, and they're they're both you know over 165 miles an hour out here on these cold streets because they're up in freaking Nebraska. And uh, you know I like these guys. I, I generally become friends with most of my customers. <laughs> and it's uh, it's a little bit of like man, this is a uh, this is fast, you know. That, that's why I get a chuckle when I see people try to like kind of bag on those street outlaw guys. I'm like, listen, if they really wanted to and they took those cars to a prep track, they would be pretty difficult to deal with. Trust me. Oh, yeah. Trust yeah. me. Yeah. Now, they got these things moving. And, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, with like, it was always kind of a mystery. But you've got now, like, our VPS gives you time slips. There's other products out that, you know, iPhone apps and different things that can give you time slips that that are pretty dang accurate, you know. And if not if not accurate, they're at least repeatable. But they're pretty dang accurate, you know. And it's uh, the uh, – people start realizing that, no, these guys ain't running mid-fives. They ain't running low fives. They ain't running high fours, <laughs> you know. <laughs> These cars are running low fours on a 40-degree road. Um, and I've had guys want to argue with me, and I'll just, you know, let's start dragging that out. I'll prove you wrong every time. You know, that's how fast they're going. And it's uh, – so you take that same mentality, that same guy, and you put him in a uh, whatever, a, a 275 car, a pro nitrous car. He's going to go fast. He might not go fast the first time, but he's going to figure it out. <laughs> you know? People seem to forget that Ryan Martin has not only qualified for Radio Verse of the World several times, he's been to the semis with that clapped-out streetcar. The, the Fireball Camaro? Or yeah, the, else? yeah, the Fireball yeah. Camaro. I mean, and he started racing, you know, Outlaw 10-5 stuff originally. You know, Reaper's coming back to some of Duck's races, and, you know, he's done fairly well at times. I mean, there's those guys, yeah. they've done a little bit of everything. Yeah. I'd say that's, I call it cross-training. I don't care if you're a road racer and you go NASCAR racing for a couple weekends with a buddy. If you're a road racer and go drag racing, unless you're stupid, you're going to learn something that you never thought of. Yeah. That will apply to your. So wait a minute, you, you're trying to tell me you learned something drag racing to put on our Trans Am car? Yeah. Check this out. Here's what these guys do. Because you'll you switch gears like that, like you know you show up at a dirt track race, and it's like, what are these guys doing? They all got grinders working on their tires. Yeah. <laughs> why are they why are they grinding their tires? And uh well, learn, watch and learn, son. Watch and learn. <laughs> well, well look what Mincer's done what he, you know, brought from the dirt track world to the drag oh, racing world with, with with separation, you know? Right. Yep. Let me let me 
let me show you all how a dirt light model hooks up. Yeah. I mean, there's there was a video. There, I'm sure they're everywhere, but there's one floating around a few years ago. I shared it on Facebook. It was a GoPro or something up under a dirt light model. It's crazy. <laughs> and to watch everything that rear end is doing, and then to even try to wrap your head around all the mechanisms that's making that happen. It's insane what they're doing. And a lot of it is that, so wait a minute, when he gets on the gas, how come there's a gap and the outside fender opens up like 18 inches bigger? Yeah. Because <laughs> you know? we're playing the rear end. you got a chain. It's going to run down until the chain stops it. It's like, to the chain? Wait a minute. Back up to the chain part. Well, what, what's crazy is you start, like, if you really understand, if you're a drag racing nerd, and you start and you dissect every run, like what I'll do, is you can see on a lot of these really fast, I'll say Pro 275 and above cars, that separation on some of those cars is unbelievable. <laughs> well, you, uh, you see uh, Marcus Bird's car. There was a picture running around last year. People were finally starting to realize what's going on here. And uh, it said somebody said, looks like a pissed-off grasshopper. Yeah. <laughs> And it's, you know, it's the back end. It's like you said, it's, it looks like something's broken. Um, cause it's got 15 inches of gap between the top of the tire and the fender. And you look back at the starting line, it didn't have any gap. Yeah. <laughs> like, Wait a minute. How does this work? Well, call up Mark Menzer and call up a bunch of other guys and they can get you on board with this, with this method. But like you said, did this come out of the circle track dirt? Probably did, you know? Um, a big area I get to talk to guys about, you know, and in my world, I started out life in the MCGTP on the prototype cars like Race at Daytona or Le Mans, something like that. Well, aerodynamics is huge. Aerodynamics is most of it. I mean, we, yeah, you need horsepower, yeah, you need handling, you need this and that and other, but if your arrow's not right, you're not going anywhere. You know, Formula One's the epitome of that, right? But... You look at these cars, I was talking to Frankie one night, and, you know, you're hearing this a couple of years ago, and you're hearing all the grumbling about all the turbo cars are ruining, I can't remember if it's Pro Extreme or Pro Boost, but, you know, they're running 223, and we're running, you know, 208. You can't beat them, blah, 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 blah. I was like, well, I want to have a conversation here, guys, about you've got a doghouse sticking out of the top of your hood. Yeah. <laughs> They got all their stuff tucked under a nice, sleek Corvette body. You know, I mean, you don't think that matters all with the horsepower. It doesn't matter. Bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> you've, you've got a refrigerator box sitting under your car, sir. Got, right. I mean, it's – and not only is it just massively draggy, it's disrupting everything over the rear of the car. It's disrupting everything under the car. Who knows what all it's doing? It's just – it couldn't get much worse than hanging that blower out the top. So – it may not be just the power they're making. They also got half the drag, and at 215, this matters a whole lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we were, we were, you know, we kind of looked at it like kind of the guys that taught me, and I'm no, I'm no aerodynamicist or anything, but it's, it's like, look, anything over 60 miles an hour matters. And you start getting anywhere near 200, it just matters incredibly. You know, um, it's so hard to push something through the air that fast. And uh, I think you're seeing that evolution, and I think that's kind of, you know, maybe uh, Pro Charger, a little bit of the best of both worlds here. We got the we got the power and all of a, of a blower, but we got the aerodynamics of everything fits under the hood. And, and um, you know, they, should the blower guys have been doing stuff to 
how can we make these blowers smaller? Because there's some way to mount your blower on the side of the motor. <laughs> you know, what can we do besides just plopping this three foot tall blower and injector hat on the top of the motor? There's other ways to package this. Well, you didn't do your homework. The turbo guys did. You know, and of course the turbo guys are whining they can't sixty foot. Well, figure that out. You know. You know? Kind of going off of that vein on the technology side of things, you know, something our listeners might want to know is, you know, how did you decide to start kind of developing what you did for drag racing stuff? Because it's not like, you know, your your typical, you know, your, your high school guidance counselor isn't going to, you know, proposition the idea, hey, you should make traction devices for drag racing cars. <laughs> you know, how did you get to where you are with this stuff? I'll try to keep it short. So start out life come out of high school, barely, go to work in an automotive machine shop, um, you know, where we built just basically rebuilt engines, you know, crank, grind cranks, new valve jobs, bore blocks. We get the occasional guy comes in, wants to do some 202 valve, double hump head, three-quarter race camshaft with some Krilla rods. You know, that was a, uh, as hot rod as we got. I've probably built 150 20, Toyota 22Rs. <laughs> I've probably built two or 300 just Chevy 350 rebuilds for my truck, you know, my car, just a rebuild engine. Um, so worked in a, in a town in a little shop in Winchester, Virginia. And oddly, we had an Indy Lights team, a Toyota Atlantic team, Group 44 Jaguar factory, you know, 24-hour Le Mans team was all in our little town. Mostly because Bob Tullius, Group 44, had been there forever. So it's some of the guys graduated out of, uh, you know, Group 44 racing school, they went out and started their own shops, and one of them ends up doing, you know, the Indy cars, and one's doing other stuff. So we were in a, a, a weird little deal. We've got this little redneck town in Winchester, Virginia, that's got a lot of racing in it. So my boss was friends with Bob Tullius and friends with all these other guys, and we'd typically go out and get pizza together every day. And uh, ends up Tom Milner, who had Prototype Technology Group, uh, well, it was Tom Milner Racing, um, back in the late eighties, early nineties, had the Ford probes, uh, yellow and black NTW cars. Those were parked to the side of my first day of work. Weren't racing those anymore, but they were sitting there. I actually had Bruce Jenner drive them, <laughs> um, after he was the, uh, decathlete champion. So group or, uh, Milner needed an at track motor guy. And I wasn't, uh, you know, a motor guy per se, but I knew how to, build engines and change valve springs and fix oil leaks and knew the basic operation of all the stuff. And their engine guy was just, had been racing for, you know, 35 years and was tired of going to the racetrack, had a family and new kids. And so they needed somebody, a flunky to go to the track and change motors, change valve springs, you know, work on whatever, change fuel injections. Uh, I was a little bit geeky, you know, so I could flash ECUs and that sort of stuff. So I get hired up just to be the at-track motor guy. My first day on the job was a 24 hours of Daytona. So that's a you know a learning curve. And, uh, you know, we get back, and of course, there's now what am I going to do now? So I start working on the cars with the guys. And mostly motor-oriented, I was kind of down a room boy, putting motors on the pump, off the pump, you know, go fix the leak, go do this, go do that, change heads, we can try different heads, a lot of that stuff. So I did that for, I don't know, six or eight years, and then uh, – um, one of our car owners started his own team out in Missouri. So I got there running a GT1 
SCCA GT1 car. You know, so these are 600 horsepower, you know, MSD 6AL carburetor, Camaro, Corvette, Mustang bodied, SCCA Trans Am as a series, road racing. Did that for a couple years and got into doing pro level racing with that and then kind of got burned out on all of it. I don't remember how many years into it, you know, somewhere around 1992, I think, kind of got burned out on all this mess, 93, 94, and said, I'm going to go get a real job. So I ended up going to work at a sand and gravel plant and uh, building dredges. <laughs> so ran a big sand and gravel plant, building dredges, and on the side, we did a little racing. Well, while we were doing a little racing on the side in 99, we won the 24 Hours of Daytona with an old uh, Galois Trans Am car we bought for next to nothing and literally rebuilt it in a pole barn. Don't want to sound like uh, Days of Thunder, but rebuilt this car in a pole barn with the intent of going out to uh, the three days of testing at Daytona because you can do that really cheap. It's like $1,800 to go run like 12, 15 hours of track time. So we were just going to go play. Well, we leave there, the second fastest car there. So phone starts ringing. Old boss is calling. They got guys want to rent seats, blah, blah. So we go run the 24 hours of Daytona with a bunch of old rich dudes and won. <laughs> so with all that, during all that, I had this idea that you could do traction control with rates of acceleration. You don't need front rear wheel speed sensors and whatnot. And in the world of circle track, that makes it very discreet. You can do this just off the signals off the engine. So came up with some ideas, filed some patents, got patents, you know, twinkled with it a little bit. The first time we actually had a working system was at Daytona, where it was actually completely legal, no problems at all. But it's like, hey, this really works. We can flip this switch on, and it's way easier to drive. So then at about 97, 98, I was messing with all the stuff. 99, you know, it's all working, and then we start selling it, and it just one thing leads to another, and end up working with a guy, you know, like a menser that does circle track stuff and drag stuff and all this. He did a little bit of circle track helping some guys, but his real thing was uh, drag racing. He's like, hey, you, you think this stuff will work on a drag car? I don't know. Let's go find out. There's no reason it shouldn't, <laughs> you know. And the very first ones we did, we did them off engine speed, and it was very promising. Like, hey, this it's helping. We just picked a pro stock car up two hundreds. I didn't realize at the time how big a deal that was. Um, my 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 buddy that got me involved in it actually called in sick and couldn't make it to the test. And we were testing an Indy on a pro stock car. And uh, I called him and said, "Yeah, these guys are awful excited." And I said, "Why?" He said, "I found it. We went from a I don't remember the times. Went from a." a a 402 to a 405, picked up 200s, and they're they're going nuts. 200s? No, you mean 2000s. Well, they said it went 200s faster. Dude, on a pro stock car, that's freaking huge. <laughs> you know? And that turned into, well, let's make a real effort at this, and we put it on. You know, we made some tweaks and changes to it to make it more drag-oriented, and kind of took off from there, you know? And then... Uh, so we did our self-learning traction control stuff for years for the drag market. Um, and then, I don't know, what, 7, 8, 2012, we did the profiler. Uh, that's where you plot out the drive shaft curve and all you want it to run. And uh, that's gone real well. You know, what we do, we think better than everybody else is it's very fast. It's very accurate. It's very 
detailed. Um, just the way we measure RPM, we have three patents on. And it's it's not just the way everybody measures RPM. So we're measuring RPM the way that we can react to it very, very, very quickly. And uh, so we got Profiler, and um, we're currently working on some projects now. We're doing some stuff with Holly and MSD where we'll be incorporating some of our stuff into some of their stuff and uh, trying to partner up, you know, in the ever-changing times. You know, we're a fairly small company trying to do, I don't know, battle against or battle with, <laughs> you know, giant, giant company. So uh, partnered up with, with uh, them and uh, doing some cool stuff coming out very soon. So it's, uh, it's been an interesting ride for 25 years. One of the cool oh. things, you know, out of all that, you know, that's definitely kind of wild how you ended up in the drag racing world. And one of the coolest things that I think that a lot of people don't realize is that your products aren't a magic bullet. They're a tool. And you have to know how to use that tool to get the most out of it because you can do more harm than good with it. You can do, you can certainly do that. I mean, one of my little pet peeves is the guys that want to say, well, it's not even racing anymore. Just put in this magic box. Dude, it's just a tuning tool. You can tune it the wrong way just as quick as you can tune it the right way. But if you're tuning it the right way, it is a very accurate, very responsive tool. We like to say that you know the profiler is going to do exactly what you tell it every time. And uh, you know I've, I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of my pro mod guys and other guys, and they're like, "Nah, you know, looking back." And Wesley Jones called me a few weeks ago just to say, "You know what? Sitting here, going through some notes, doing stuff, like getting back to the downtime and working on the cars. We have not missed a single run due to some kind of electronic ignition failure." since we put the profiler on. Not a single pass have we gone up there and had a problem where it didn't run the timing curve and where it didn't do this or didn't do that, you know. It's never not started. It's And I always laugh and say, if y'all just knew how stressed I am every time just to see one fire, how much went right <laughs> just to see it start. And, uh, you know, I've had that conversation with a lot of guys. Like, you know, it's been – it's it's just a hell of a tool. It does what you tell it. But the key is it doesn't take the tuner out of it. It just makes him – if if Nick Bruder's better with a profiler than, than you are, he's going to beat you. Well, <laughs> you know, y'all both wrote the same check. You both bought the same profiler. He went home and learned how to use it and went testing and learned what it could do and played with different things. You know, I said earlier I was helping Kai some this week. Kai's had a profiler for years. He used it, then he kind of gets distracted and does it more old school through his grid or whatever. He called me up there out here doing this latest show, and he's doing well but needs to do better. And I started helping him a little bit, and one night I was like, look, we need to move all the timing from the ignition box over to the profiler. Let the ignition box do your nitrous retards. Move the timing curves and all that over to us because then we can – we can add timing as well as remove timing. Everything's on one screen. And I think you're going to find it's just faster and more accurate. And I will say on this ride home right now, he's very happy. <laughs> um, the, uh, it just had a, it was just textbook. Just everything went just like it's supposed to go. And every lap we made little tweaks, little changes, go a little faster, do a little tweak, little change, go a little faster. You do a big tweak, you're probably going to blow the tires off. Well, how'd you blow the tires off with traction control? Because you didn't use it right. <laughs> so it is just a tool. Well, um, wouldn't you say then that tuning one of these cars, and I've always said this too, is it's like 
it's like you're uh you're you're firing for effect with artillery you got to find where your range is for your target whether you know you're too too far out or you know too far in and kind of like w- with the profile and these other tools is it's a way to get it to where you want it to be optimized where you're not touching either line of dots sure. essentially Exactly. I mean, I tell people, look, you're starting out here, you're using the sledgehammer for corrections, and I refer to it as whack-a-mole, where they've got the line, and they're, they're, they're coming up over the line, and they take this giant sledgehammer of timing retard and knock it back down. Well, then it usually over-knocks it. Then the thing starts porpoising, and drive shafts, you know, roo, roo, roo. And it's like, all right, look, we, we need to move from sledgehammer down to frame hammer. We won't end up with a tack hammer. And trust me, I'm as happy as is anybody on your team is when you got there and run a, a 348 and never touched the profile. That was all tuner, <laughs> you know. But you will have to admit to me, and or you're a liar, that somewhere in these last six, you learned on these last six passes where it was using the profiler to get down the track. So instead of going out there and blowing the tires off at 80 feet, it pulled out a degree to have a timing, shook a little bit, but went on. Well, you learned something from that. And you go and you, or at least you should have learned something from that. So they go and they tweak their their manual timing curve, their basic dots, and get it closer and closer to where, yeah, we're just barely touching it. And that's frankly where we were going with guys car all week. It starts out making some pretty big changes, and it's going, and we're we're he's going rounds and he's making he's winning most and losing a few, and and it's like okay, so this is good. But I think we you know we're both looking at it and he's saying, you know, I'm, I'm really tempted to do less. I said, well, I absolutely agree. <laughs> you know, you need to, we need to back it down some. It's doing, it's doing too much. We got too much whack-a-mole in here. And uh, we eased off of it, eased off of it. We're just tickling the timing, you know. Um, uh, Terry Coyle, who tunes for Terry Leggett and Pro Extreme, he was a master at it. And that car would go out there and he'd tell me, I said, what you got in it? <sighs> It's, if it goes good, it, 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 it should do a 53, maybe a 54, but if it's, if it's good, it'll, we might hit a 52. It'd run a 52 or 53 every time. <laughs> you know? um, and we'd come back, and it pulled a half here, and it added a quarter, added a half, pulled a degree, added a little bit, and generally 200 feet on, it was just on its own. You know? But he was just barely touching it, you know, um, barely letting it do a little work. Not, you know, just put a flat timing curve in there and let the tractor control do the rest. You're not going to win that way. And one of the best things I can say is on all this uh, anti-technology and that's ruining racing and it's not racing anymore, just might as well put a robot in the car. You can keep all that because let me tell you this. If I give you a box, here's this magic black box. This magic black box is going to take this car and plow 100% of the power that that tire can take every quarter inch of racetrack automatically. It's just going to do it for you. Well, you're not out of a job, Tuner. Your job just changed. You need to get your chassis working better because if my chassis can handle more power, my tire pressure, my four-link, my weight balance, my aero, everything else, then... You know, it just changed. No different than now we got these closed-loop O2 systems on the fuel injection. Put a whole lot of tuners. I mean, when I first got involved in this drag race stuff, you better have you a, a Barnhill or a Petty or 
uh, Oplowski or Pete Harrell or somebody around, or you're going to blow this thing up on the first pass. <laughs> you know, you got to have some kind of a fuel table in there to even get down the track. I think with all the modern EFI, that's still there, but it's not as near critical as it was 10 years ago where you just burned up on the first try. Um, but those guys have all adapted to, hey, we've got these new tools in our toolbox. we got we got these fuel injection systems that lets us do all kinds of stuff, and we got traction control systems that lets us do all kinds of stuff. And let's say the more and more automatic all that gets, wheelie control. Here's a, here's a magic box that will let this thing go down the racetrack with three pounds of weight on each front tire, just barely skimming the track, just enough to steer it. It'll do that 100% every time perfect, right? You don't have to worry about wheelies ever again in your life. Well, if your chassis doesn't work very well and it wants to stand up and my magic box has to pull out 200 horsepower to keep it down and and James's chassis works better than yours and wants to stay down anyway and you got the same power and everything else, he's going to beat you because his car's working better. So the tuner's job just changes, just like you mentioned earlier, like Menzer with shocks, you know. Those that are understanding what the shocks are doing and all this separation, all this these radial tires, they're the ones just setting records and winning races. And the ones that are just doing it like they did it last year, they're still running fifth. So, <laughs> you know. So I'm gonna you gotta you gotta adapt and overcome, whether it's COVID, whether it's electronics, whether it's shock technology, uh prep, no prep. If if you're gonna be successful, you gotta be willing to to take the tools that are available and use them to the best you're allowed to use them. So. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a phrase slash question at you, and I want to get your take on this. True or false? Or no, what do we put it that way? I'll just say this: there is no such thing as a perfect run in drag racing. Yes or no? Probably no, because I've never seen one do. Um, I've never seen one go to a peak G and then just smooth as glass just that g deteriorate as you run out of horsepower and build up aerodynamic drag and and all that it's always up and down up and down so i see that now we use the vps as a very accurate g meter and that's where it all came from all i was after for my traction control customers was a g meter that's unfiltered super accurate super fast showing you exactly what's going on because if the tire slips an inch the g meter drops or it should Right, it ain't pulling a G. It was pulling. Um, to keep to put that in perspective, if you're going down the road and you're pulling three G and you hit a speed bump and you go airborne, or technically if you hit a two inch gap in the track, for an instant it better go to zero G because for an instant you are not accelerating. Your tires are not touching the ground. Okay. Well, we knew there were tracks with bumps and things, and the G meters didn't do that. So, well, here's a picture of your car with, with the back tires off the ground, but your G-meter's still showing G. That's impossible. It cannot be accelerating. It's not. There's no friction to the road. So, we did a VPS to get this super accurate G-meter, and we see it, and I look at runs, and just looking with Kai the other night, it's like, see right here? I don't know what's going on at this point, but you lose a quarter G for two-tenths of a second. There's just a dip. It's up nice and high. It's going along pretty good, little ripples. There's an obvious event right here. It drops, comes back up. Why? Maybe there's a bump. Maybe there's this. Was it tire slip? You know, what was it? But something 
And if that had not done that, had that carried that G across there with just the little ripples, not this obvious dip, then it would have been a faster run. So therefore, what you thought was a perfect run ain't. Um, Frankie's 348 run. Um, that was actually the first time we ever let the profiler add timing. It did some timing ads in the 60 foot. I think we all agree it, it wouldn't have gone that fast had it not done that. Maybe it had gone faster. But it pulled really good G. It pulled really smooth G. It a hell of a run in really good conditions and everything lined up and went right. And he went at 348. Um, a couple years later, I think, sometime later, we had a pass that was looked slightly better, but we lost the crank trigger about three or 400 feet. <laughs> and, but I know we made it to the 330 because it was uh, – I think it was 200s ahead at the 330 than the 48 was. And uh, so you're close to perfect runs, and I guess those are when you set records. But you look at the G-meter, it wasn't perfect because it wasn't that smooth. Um, so anyway, it's I'd say no. I don't think a perfect drag pass has ever been made yet. That That's the perfect explanation. And that, that was the route I was going to hope you were going to go down with that. And that's kind of why I, I threw that little bit of bait in the water because I figured kind of what, what you're talking about earlier. I'm like, well, let's let's tie, you know, as we close the show down here, let's tie all this together for, for our listeners so they really understand kind of on this section what it takes to really make these cars do these, you know, to run 352 on a radial. To me, it's the guys that understand the whole package. Again, you got to throw, you know, Bruder, Patty, uh, Stockland, um, Phil, Sh- Stevie, and a whole lot of others. I'm sure I'm leaving out um, that understand the whole package. I work a lot with Frankie Taylor, and Frankie's earns his nickname. He's a wild man, right? But he's super nice. He'll help anybody. He just loves racing, and. I've gone and Shanghai him say, can you come down and help these guys? They are just lost. And we went down a couple of years ago at Georgia. We got down to some guy's trailer at like 1030 at night just to hopefully, you know, hey, Frank, you might look a little bit of data. And he looks at that and give him a little bit of advice. So I get a call and I got to leave him to it, right? So Frank is down there and he's just going 100 miles an hour. And these guys are, they're all ears. They understand. They've got Frankie Taylor here helping them. And they got a blower car and blah, blah, they're maybe a little bit over their head, or at least they're on a, they're on a steep learning curve, right? Frankie's down there helping them. Well, I do what I got to do, and I kind of forget about Frankie and do some stuff. And it's about 1, 1.30 in the morning, and I'm getting kind of hungry, and me and Frankie were going to have some shrimp. I call him. He's still down there. I go down there. He's helping them pull the rear end. Because, yeah. <laughs> back to your question, he looks at the data, and it's not. There's no one thing here wrong, and there's nothing really wrong. It's the. It's not doing. And this is out of my. Can, or heard, the 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 rear end ain't planting. Gear ratio in the rear you got. So what we really need to do is go from from this gear to that gear. If we do that, we need to put this stator in. That's going to do this. Then we can do this to the timing curve. Then we need to tighten up the rear shocks. And I think you ought to put a pound and a half of air pressure in it, raise the wheelie bars up a half inch, and blah, 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 blah. And it just, they changed everything minutely. Changed everything a little bit. And I think they went out and went something like a half a second faster. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because they were just a little lost everywhere, and the whole package wasn't working. So you take these guys, these elite tuners, they're not going to fix 
they're not going to fix it with a profiler. They're not going to fix it with a converter. They're not going to fix it with the, the best menser can throw at it. They're going to fix it if it needs fixed. They're going to make it better. They're going to make it complete by understanding the whole thing. If we hit it 200 RPM harder on the hit, this is going to happen. If that happens, this is going to happen. If that happens, we need the front shocks tighter because it's going to try to jerk the front end up. And we've got to move five pounds from the rear to the front. That's the ones I work with that just impress me. Yeah. That it's like, no, wait a minute. Why? So it hadn't been wheeling. Why are you putting front weight on it? Because I'm just nosy or trying to learn, you know. And it's like, well, we're doing this to the stator, and we're doing this to the rear end, and we're doing this and doing that. And, um, you know, we're going to – okay, I guess that all makes sense. I didn't know you had that kind of – I didn't know anybody had that kind of foresight. <laughs> you know? So you work with these guys, and you realize how good they are at what they do. Um, and you take, again, you take somebody like Schuler or, or Patty or Bruder. Um, they're racing all the time. You know, they got their hands into something racing all the time. How can you help but learn something, you know? And uh, so I, I'm sure if you ask Phil Schuler or Frankie if they ever made the perfect pass, they might admit that they made a, they feel they made a perfect pass in those conditions, but you can bet your butt they want to go faster tomorrow. <laughs> so so then maybe it was a perfect pass for those conditions, but um, you give me a little better conditions, we're going to change stuff, we're going to go faster. So it's, uh, I would say they're always striving for a, a better pass, which some kind of a paradox there, then there's never been a perfect pass. So. Well, Shannon, anyway. our, our time here is coming to a close on the Dragzine podcast. And I like to give my guests their opportunity to, uh, do their John Force impersonation and plug where they can be found at and what's going on. So, uh, I'll turn the floor over to you, sir, and you can tell people where they can learn more about uh, what you got going on in the world of uh, Davis, Davis Technologies. Well, if you need the best track stroll on the planet that integrates with most fuel injections or other ignition systems out there, if you need the best vehicle position sensor there is, hands down, no competition, um, then come to Davis Technologies at www.moretraction.com. And I will say this, public service announcement, if you call, please leave a message. It does no good to call me 17 times and hang up every time. It just pisses me off by the time you finally do get through. So <laughs> please call. If we don't answer, leave a message. We are here to help you get rid of your money and be happy to call you and help you with whatever questions you got and get this handled. But, uh, yeah, moretraction.com. You know, we got a few videos and things on there. Check us out on Facebook. A lot of that's just under Shannon Davis. Um, but, uh, yeah. Come see us. We can hook you up. Well, Shannon, awesome to talk with you for sure. And uh, we'll try to get you back up on the show. And uh, we'll see you soon in the future. Sure. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, that wraps up the show for this week. Thanks for Shannon for stopping by. And as always, may your action times be crisp and your wind lights bright. Until next time, folks. <laughs>